Assalamu alaikum, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. And welcome to the Drive Time Show. And it's a great opportunity for me to be here on a Wednesday. I'm not usually here on a Wednesday, but I'm here with Dr. Bajra Saab and what you, Doc, whatever suits you, Dr. Bajra. Yeah, uh, Dr. Tariq Bajra, your yeah. usual presenter is here, so don't worry. Good, good, good. good. So <laughs> I'm, only, I'm only here as a guest here today on a Wednesday, but yes, uh, Dr. Bajra is a regular slot. And actually, we're talking about two fantastic subjects today, and I'll get right into those. But remember, you know, you can always get involved with our conversations on the topics that we talk about. Uh, just give us a call on 0208-687-7878. And obviously, you know, we're on all the social media platforms from Twitter to Instagram. And it's always our handle is at Voice of Islam UK. And actually talking about socials in relation to one of the topics, we are asking you a question. And here's a hint to also one of the topics we're talking about is as a good source of vitamin D is milk as one option, oily fish as the other, and then vegetables and chocolate. Is that where you can get your vitamin D from? So that is, yes, definitely one of the topics that we're talking about today. And that is all about vitamin D, what you need to know. And obviously we have Dr. Tarek Bajwa who can shed some light on that. And we're going to be talking about that in the first hour. And then in the second hour, which I think is equally important and actually it will be really inspiring today to be able to talk about Muslim Day. And it is a very fascinating topic and it's very important to our community as the Ahmadiyya Muslim community worldwide. And we will be talking about Muslim mode and, you know, a tiny glimpse into his scholarly work, but there's a lot more to it. And actually, the reason why we kind of talk about this subject is to revive our faith and to remember the pledge that our objectives is to establish truth of Islam in the worldwide. And that's what one of the things is about Voice of Islam radio, isn't it? Just to, uh, Dr. Adibadre, just to talk about, you know, the true meaning of what actually Islam is because there are so many weird thoughts that people have and I was reading a statistic over the weekend which is really surprising to me is that 50% of the UK population feel that Islam is not uh, a faith or religion can that can integrate into the British society but I would reject that and we've been living here, I've lived here all my life and practically yourself as well, I don't believe that do you? Yeah, I, I think the main uh, main issue is that people are not aware. Awareness is the major factor. Mm. And uh, as you mentioned, our um, second caliph, the second head of the Ahmadi Muslim community after the promised Messiah, yeah. uh, on whom be peace, who was the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community in uh, Islam, he, um, he was the one who actually his job was to spread the message of Islam to the world mm. and it has, you know, of course uh, m- his major efforts were involved in it and the reason why we are going to talk on this topic is that on the 20th of February uh, was the day when uh, an announcement was made by his um, grandfather his, his father yeah. 
um, that our son will be born to yeah. him uh, with such and such uh, qualities and such and such character and uh, the way how it has been fulfilled. So that's why we are talking about this subject uh, yeah. today in the, in, in the second yeah, hour. Yeah, in, in the second hour. Yes, you're exactly right. And in, in the first hour, we are, as I mentioned earlier, talking about vitamin D and what you need to know. I mean, a lot of people hear about vitamin D. I mean, they've even described it as as an organ, one of the most important organs. I mean, this is all above me. I'm not a medical person, so I'm looking uh-huh. forward to today's show to learn so much. I mean, Dr. Doug Bajor, there was a statistic that was really interesting to me, that it was reported that 40% of Europe has a vitamin D insufficiency and 13% of them have a severe insufficiency. Now that's like you, like in your work colleagues, like even in the studio here with yourself and me and a tech team, that means one of us have an insufficient deficiency of vitamin D. I, I think all of us. <laughs> yeah, with, with my experience in, yeah. in general practice, of course, uh, I mean, it's a uh, so about like maybe 20 years ago, it was uh, something which clicked me personally because mm. I um, I had seen a patient who was a child and uh, maybe seven, ten, seven to eight years old, yeah. and she was complaining of the muscular pains and mm. and you know all the investigations done, nothing was coming out and. And um, ultimately, you know, they they ended up um, referring her to a psychologist. Maybe she has some psychological issues. And uh, but you know, one day somebody thought about that, and she and uh, they got her vitamin D checked, and she was severely deficient of vitamin D. Right. And yeah. as soon as that vitamin D was replaced, all her symptoms were gone. And that was something which which had clicked my mind. And I, at uh, many of our meetings, when I raised this issue that we should look more into it mm. and try to investigate um, the vitamin D levels, and it should be routinely checked because yeah. there are so many symptoms. And we have um, a lot of people who are coming from the tropical countries, when they come to this country, they do not have that much of sun, they exposure, yeah. and as a result, they, they become deficient of vitamin D, and they can suffer from the symptoms, which they don't need to. And uh, so this was, it was many, many years after that, about mm-hmm. five, six years after that, people looked into it, yeah. they they did some research, and they said that previously they thought, yeah, oh, it is just, just you know, it is um, something we, we call it as a um, classical thing, something which yeah. is uh, empirical, yeah. is the term you use is empirical, is that just by experience you know that if you give vitamin D, people feel better. But then it was evidence-based, they, they understood that, yeah. that they you do need um, to replace the vitamin D in order to get rid of yeah. those symptoms. I think it's really important you talk about that because we're going to be talking to looking forward to talking to Dr. Bess Dawson Hughes. He's actually part of the US uh, Department for Agriculture and it talks about aging as well and he's a professor of medicine. We'll, we will catch up with him and um, I know we're going to have a really interesting conversation with him about this and then we've got two interviews we did earlier which we will play as a pre-record for you for uh with professor bola uh, and and dr mohit which uh, we'll, we'll do later but actually this example that you've described i think 
with agriculture and the way we are farming, the quality of our food intake and what we're eating is not giving us the nutrients that we need today. So this phenomena that you described like 20 years ago was, and because of farming and the way we're over farming and we're not getting nutrition. So, I mean, I read the statistics like to get the nutrient of a single tomato that you would have had, say, about 40, 50 years ago, you've got to have four of four tomatoes to get the same nutritional value. Is Do you think there's a link to the, the example you gave? Um I think this uh, there is something very very interesting. Hmm. I, I think you will be interested to know that um, because you know with all the vitamins which we require and there are so many fat soluble vitamins and the water soluble vitamins which we require. But you know here the, this is where you know you will it will click you that there is somebody creator up there yeah. who has created you with an intention. And he has not trusted you with vitamin D. Why? Because there is hardly any vitamin D available in your normal diet. Yeah, interesting. Okay? Interesting, yeah. So what he has done is that he has created a system in your skin that on exposure to sun rays, ultraviolet B rays, what happens is that it converts a molecule of a cholesterol in your skin, which it converts into vitamin D, and it is readily available to the body. Yeah. And that is why, you know, uh, the, even if you don't take vitamin D, um, you will still have vitamin D because it is so essential. It is essential for three major things. One, it's a res- it is um, responsive for the calcium and phosphorus absorption, absorption, which is a major component of your bones yeah. and your teeth. Number two, it is important for your immunological system. That, you know, any defense, it is important that, and it can prevent infections. If your immunity is strong, mm. you can, um, you know, you, you can obviously, and then the, your muscles, the muscular pains, inflammation, Inflammation is the process which is the is the basic point from where all the problems start. When there is an inflammation, there is a response to that inflammation, yeah. and sometimes you get an exaggerated response. So if you if you get a, a muscle, for example, uh, you overdo something, you you get tired, yeah. you do muscular exercise, and then it it needs repair. Mm. And instead of repair, if you get inflammation, you need vitamin D right. to settle down that inflammation. So there's a question that people ask a lot about in relation to vitamin D. I'm going to hit lots of questions at you for my own knowledge. Sure? Can you overdose on vitamin D? Is there something that you can have too much of? Yes, of course you can yeah. have. And there are some signs of that vitamin D, but it's, it's very rare to have right. that okay. yeah. because you are so deficient because it's not in your normal diet. See, yeah. unless you are taking you know, from outside. And when a high dose is prescribed, and yes, when people are severely deficient, you the, the doctors, they do prescribe very high doses of like uh, 300,000 units, whereas your requirement is only like uh, 400 units yeah. daily. So if, if that much is being prescribed, 
if you continue without, you know, they usually give it to you for maybe six to eight weeks. Yep. And then you have to come to the normal dose, which, yep. you, which is your daily requirement. So if you continue doing that, then you can get right. a hypervitaminosis D, which has, uh, it is very evident yep. if you are getting, uh, you know, over or your hypervitaminosis. And, and, you, and can you do a test to see if, of how deficient you are? Is So obviously what, I, what we're advising here is go and see your doctor if you're concerned about not having sufficient vitamin D and then is there a, a way to find out that when you've got the right levels yeah yeah of course I mean now that people are aware of the yes. vitamin D importance of the vitamin D people do, do come and they they would like their vitamin D to be checked but previously you know the, nobody thought about that however there are certain situations in which you have to be more careful. The doctor has to be aware that if yeah. somebody, for example, um, a, a mother who's a nursing mother, she needs more vitamin D. Somebody who is pregnant needs um, uh, vitamin D more than normal. Somebody who covers herself up, you know, a lot of clothing, never exposure to the to the sun, you can imagine that her vitamin D is going to be low. Even the men here who work in offices, air-conditioned offices, all day long, no exposure to sun, hardly any holidays. Um, but, you know, here again, I'll, I'll tell you something very subtle, yeah, go, very, very important. Um, the thing is that uh, here again, you find that there is a creator. See, if you have a white skin, lack of melanin, if there is melanin, melanin uh, actually stops making vitamin D because the exposure to ultraviolet rays is less. It is a like a curtain. It, it blocks. So a person living in Africa um, with, with a lot of melanin in the skin has less capacity to make vitamin D. It. it needs exposure for six to eight hours to make his daily requirement. Whereas a uh, a person who is with a white skin, he would make the same amount of vitamin D on exposure of just his um, you know arms up to elbows, exposure for half an hour, and he will make vitamin D enough yeah. for for his daily requirement. So that's where you see that God has created you, mm. and then provided you with the things you need, you know, according to where you live. Yeah. But because of a lot of uh, migrations, yeah. you know, the things have changed because those people are now living here mm. and they need permanently vitamin D. No, that, that's really good. And the fact that we, we know that and, that, and as the world has become a global village, we are seeing, aren't we, that as, as people move around the world and the way they are as individuals, we now recognize that because God has also given us the intelligence as we move forward to understand what we need and what we don't need and, and how it all works. Yeah. Should we get into a, a little bit of um, technical side of things? Because you sure. mentioned about the calcium and and the phosphorus, didn't you, with the vitamin D. Yeah. It, it does say, and a lot of people will read this, that vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. What What does that mean? The thing is that there are certain vitamins which yeah. are water-soluble, yeah. and there are certain vitamins which are fat-soluble. Fat-soluble means, here again, you know, comes the importance of cholesterol. You know, people take medicine just to lower their cholesterol, but they forget that uh, cholesterol is an essential component of your body. Uh, your brain only uses cholesterol. Lots of cholesterol is mm. required. That's why the people, uh, their memory is being affected. Sometimes if you, if you are put on, on statins, uh, uh, Particularly, you know, preventive measures, lots of high doses of statins are recommended just to prevent
prevent the so-called heart attack. I mean, that, that is that is why people, and and you know, particularly um, in United States, there, there is a fashion that you go on the shop and you can buy statins, you can buy these medicine, yeah. but they don't think that they are they're, they're doing more harm than good to to you if they are not essential for you. If you are not, um, you, ha- you haven't had a heart attack or you are not at a risk of a heart attack, you shouldn't take them. Um, because it is essential component. So what happens is that this is again vitamin D is is actually um, it, it is like subunit or or this uh, or the next generation of cholesterol. Cholesterol converts into um, something called coal. Col- Coal calciferol yep. and ergocalciferol. Okay, These are yeah. the, the the cholesterol molecules, and then they they this is this is what is vitamin D, which can be used by the body, but then it is not used as coal calciferol or ergocalciferol. It is converts to calcitriol, which is the next form chemical name. Calcitriol is what is used by the body, yep. and and that is what helps to retain your calcium and phosphorus, and mm. not only um you know in your blood, but also it prevents the kidney to release it into your urine, passing out. So I, I think that the, what we're kind of saying here is that, look, look at your vitamin D level. Let, let's get going with all of this and see how important it is. And just before we speak to our next guest, I wanted to say that, you know, our spiritual leader, Hazrat Musul Ahmed, my love, is helper. He's the fifth caliph of our community. And he said that one of the Jamias, which is one of our big schools where many of our missionaries go to, at an annual sports competition, he said this back in 2015, long time ago. And he then guided his students that he said that all of you should also join in with other youths and and their sports for the outdoor activities as it will enable you to get a positive example for them and to be able to be good role models. And and the one reason for that is that I encourage all students in Jami Amdiya to regularly participate in sports to exercise. And, being, and by being outside... You are getting, getting that vitamin D. Sun, so yeah. always that advice that we we get with all of that. So, um, Dr. we've got a, we've got our next guest um, who yeah, joined uh, us now. Uh, yeah, Dr. Bess Dawson Hughes has yeah. joined us. Uh, he is uh, he directs a bone metabolism laboratory at the USDA. That's the Department of Agriculture, United States Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging. is professor of medicine at Tufts and is the general secretary of the International Osteoporosis Foundation. We welcome him on the Drive Time Show here on Radio Voice of Islam. Um, uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Bess, uh, to our Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, thank you for joining us. So we have, uh, you know, as you know, we are discussing vitamin D today. Yeah. And uh, we have uh, quite a few questions for you. The, fir- the first thing we would like to know, can you please define the parathyroid hormone yeah. and what does vitamin D do to the parathyroid hormone? Okay. Uh, parathyroid hormone actually regulates the blood calcium level and we maintain our normal calcium levels by absorbing calcium from the diet where does vitamin d fit in vitamin d is essential for the transport of calcium across the gi tract in other words it's essential for the absorption of calcium So if you're low in vitamin D, you do not absorb enough calcium 
your calcium level in the blood goes down, and that stimulates the release of parathyroid hormone. Now, parathyroid hormone will will try to raise the serum calcium by dissolving bone. Mm -hmm. Because when you dissolve bone, you release calcium into the circulation. So vitamin D has an indirect effect on bone through this. Um, so, so of course, I mean, so, so it has to do with uh, deal with the level of the calcium in the blood. So it, it doesn't care, you know, what your, your where your bones are going, whether they are thinning. But parathyroid hormone is actually controlling the level which it needs to to. Is it a certain level that it has to be maintained? Yes, the calcium level in the blood is maintained in a very narrow range. Uh, and we get quite sick if it gets too high or if it gets too low. So vitamin D uh, works with the parathyroid hormone to maintain uh, a normal calcium state. Right. So what are some diseases that might affect vitamin D absorption and how do they affect it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, any disorder that causes malabsorption or poor absorption across the GI tract will uh, uh, impair uh, vitamin D absorption. Typically, um, uh, examples would be inflammatory bowel disease. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is an inflammation of the small intestine. And let me comment that vitamin D is absorbed largely in the small intestine not in the larger Mm -hmm. intestine. So that's one. Another one that's really quite common now is um, celiac disease, which is a gluten sensitivity. What that disease does is alter the uh, inner surface of the GI tract in such a way that uh, many nutrients are not absorbed, including vitamin D. So... uh, that's a, a common yeah. condition. So basically anything that affects absorption uh, in the adversely affects it in the small intestine will impair vitamin D absorption. I have a question, not from a, a technical side of things, but how do you recognize <laughs> from the symptoms that you've got insufficient vitamin D? Uh, Unfortunately, there aren't any notable symptoms until you are extremely deficient. At that point, uh, you would recognize uh, proximal muscle weakness. That would be weakness in the thighs, where you would notice trouble getting out of a chair. Uh, that's usually uh, uh, an early sign. Well, not early. It's a sign of advanced insufficiency. Is there an age as to what you would expect people to be insufficient in vitamin D? The older you get or if you're quite young, does it matter? Uh, Yeah. The ability to absorb vitamin D declines as we age. Mm. And the ability to convert the vitamin D that we absorb into an active uh, here. Uh, which involves activation uh, first in the liver and then in the kidney, all of that slows down with aging. 
so uh, aging people are vulnerable for that reason and for another important reason, and that is that for a given amount of sun exposure, mm. old people will make less vitamin D than young people. Yeah. That's because the precursor in the skin, the concentration of the precursor is lower in old people. Is that why many people, when they get old, they kind of, we call them expats, they go live in a hot country? Is that kind of one of the reasons why they do it? They just like the country, like Spain, for example. Uh, yes, and we see this in the United States with the uh, migration to Florida. Yes, right. <laughs> um, okay. I think old people do not tolerate the cold weather that <laughs> that we are exposed yeah. to yeah. here in Boston. Got it. So th- I think also what I'm trying to uh, well, I'll ask you is that do we should we by default be looking at taking either vitamin D supplements or make it an active part of our lifestyle to eat the right things and do the right things to get vitamin D and actually just go and see our doctors about it? Was it too much of a burden on the NHS, for example, in the UK? Uh, yeah. Well, let's start with uh, how, how you might get vitamin D in yeah. your diet. And it is hard to do on a day-to-day basis. Vitamin D is available in very few foods. Uh, the mo- and uh, let's take, for example, the most abundant vitamin D uh, foods are oily fish, yeah. Uh, yeah. such as salmon. But today, in today's world, we are eating farm-raised salmon yeah. as opposed to wild-caught. And the yeah. farm-raised does not contain vitamin D because they don't feed those fish vitamin D whereas fish in the wild will eat planktons, uh, and that is where they get the vitamin D and store it in their fat. So that's the main source. Uh, Others are egg yolks, um, some mushrooms. It's hard to get it. So the general recommendation is this, that uh, uh, people take on the order of 800, sometimes 1,000, that range of D, just to be sure that they are covered because it's hard to get it from the diet. Yeah. And in the winter, you don't make it in your skin. Right. When you're living in UK or in my city in Boston or a lot of the temperate zones. Okay. So it's, it's good to do that. That's brilliant because we've been asking a poll on the, on this show about vitamin D, you know, what's a good source of vitamin yeah. D. We've got like four options and uh, we'll, being a bit of a joke, one of them was chocolate, but one of them had the right answer and you've just given it. So thank you for that. So all those of you are listening in, now you know the answer to to our poll on the question. Thank you very much there, uh, Dr. That's excellent. So I've got one more question before I let you go, and I'm sure Dr. Baji will have some more questions with you as well. Um, this is more uh, related to kind of like p- young parents who, who are worried about their their children and they just don't know because Mm -hmm. and there is a lot of um worry now that the the nhs here in the united kingdom is under a lot of pressure but that shouldn't stop them right to go and talk to their doctor and just go and deal with this vitamin d because as you said it's really hard to know that you're you've got insufficient Mm -hmm. deficiency until you're at the end of it so should we be encouraging this or should we just say look just hold fire 
Well, uh, the, I was the lead author on the uh, International Osteoporosis Foundation guidelines. Yeah. And uh, what we recommended is that you don't need to get a test unless you have some special high-risk situation. You just need to uh, make sure you're getting uh, six to 800 to 1,000 units a day. Right. You can go to the drug an over-the-counter, low-dose vitamin D. Right. I would like to add that those high-dose pills taken less frequently are not a good idea. Right. This should be taken uh, in low amounts on a daily basis. Brilliant. That's great. Thank you. Um, right. Okay. I mean, we, we did speak about the absorption difficulties when in certain mm. conditions there is a, a deficiency because of certain diseases, but are there any conditions where, um, you know, you become specifically, um, for a short period, you are more prone to get a deficiency of vitamin D? Uh, yes. Uh, people uh, with uh, who are obese mm-hmm. as a group will have lower vitamin D levels in the blood than people who are normal weight. There's a lot of argument about what's doing that, and I think there are several explanations but uh, we could go into if you are interested. But the point is that if you are obese, if you have very dark-colored skin, it means that you will not make vitamin D efficiently with sun exposure. It would take a lot more sun exposure to make the same amount of vitamin D as if you had uh, very light-colored skin. So those are groups that would be um, at particular risk. Um, so what, what's the difference in, in between... For low what, what's the difference between... I mean, these terms are being used sufficiency, insufficiency versus deficiency. Okay. Um, that's a very good question. I think uh, that most of the uh, definitions are based on the National Academy of Medicine definitions, which are as follows. If your 25-hydroxy-D level is less than 25 nanomoles per liter, you are deficient. If you are between uh, 25 and 50, up to 50 nanomoles per liter, you are insufficient. If you are 50 or higher, you are sufficient. Okay. Those okay. are the pretty okay. generally yeah. accepted. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's slight difference in UK. They start from 30. Under 30 is like uh, yeah, insufficiency. Yeah. And then, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, under 30 is, is deficiency. Between 30 and 50 is insufficiency. And then above 50 yeah. is... is uh, so almost similar mm-hmm. uh, guidelines. Uh, so how can someone monitor their vitamin D levels? Yeah. And what are the guidelines regarding that? Uh, it is uh, the general guidelines are that healthy people uh, don't need to monitor it; they just need to take the recommended amount. It's those high-risk people, uh, obese, very dark-skinned people with osteoporosis or some other bone or muscle disease. Mm. Those people should be tested, should be treated to reach the optimum range, and then should be 
test it again to ensure that you've achieved the goal. That's the recommendation uh, that I think makes the most sense. It's too expensive to measure everyone. You know, it just does. It's not cost effective to do it. Right. Okay. So somebody who comes, you know, uh, for example, you measure the vitamin D levels and uh, 25 hydroxy level is, for example, seven. Okay. So the doctor prescribes like a 300,000 units for six weeks, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on, on a divided doses. So how yeah. how soon or how, you know, what should be the interval that his vitamin D level should be checked? Okay. From the time you change the dose, either up it takes three months to get into a steady state vitamin D level on that dose. Mm. So you never want to check until the three months is up on a specific okay. dose. Let me, let me make another point here. Some mm. physicians will make the mistake of doing the loading dose and then stopping the D. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. only thing that will happen there is you'll correct it uh, until three months later, it'll be back down to where it was. So you have to follow the loading dose with a maintenance dose. Right. Okay. And then and then measure three months after the maintenance dose to make sure you are maintaining the level in the uh, desired range. Does it, does it give a wrong message to parathyroid hormone if you give, give a loading dose? Uh, no, in D deficiency, hormone will be elevated, and uh, with the with the loading and then ongoing maintenance, it will dro- it should drop down to uh, the normal range. Not a problem. All right. Okay. So um, I mean, we, you you spoke about the the foods which uh, which uh, does have uh, you know a good amount of vitamin D, but it's very difficult to get them, particularly, yeah. you know, for the children, they fortify the milk, and that's why the vitamin D is added um, onto, you know, yeah. the cereals and the and the milk as well, so they can get it mm-hmm. from there. Uh, but still, you know, the, there was a time, now we don't see many cases of rickets, uh, you know, when they, they had, like, bendy bones. Right. But, uh, you know, there was a right. time when, yeah. when there were lots of people who were, you know, in that condition, that the bones were affected, uh, and and is it is it? Do you think it yeah. is because of the the fortified milk they have available? Uh, the fortification program uh, uh, is extremely important mm. and it's highly effective. Um, uh, it's been in, uh, carried out here in the United States. For each quart of milk, we have four hundred units of vitamin D. I mean, for each cup of milk, we have 400 units of vitamin D. This is very important for uh, children and for adults who are are drinking milk. That's a great way to get it. I wasn't sure what the fortification level was in UK, so Mm. I didn't mention that, but I should have. That's very important. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I I think just just for the information for our uh, listeners, one you, because they, they get confused. So one microgram is equivalent to 40 international units. So that's how they can multiply the, the dose. So uh, so thank you very yeah. much, Dr. Jess, for joining us. I think yeah. it was, uh, uh, you know, it was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I think uh, lots of information uh, has reached our audience, and they will appreciate that. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, have a nice evening. Thank you very much. 
I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Fantastic. That that was really interesting. You got really technical there, but I think we know a lot of our audiences now are quite used to that level of technicality that we go into in our subjects. Yeah, so I thought it was really useful. Uh, yeah, 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 because you, you go to the chemist and you want to discuss, and these are the, the common things. You know, they would say, oh, what, what dose? And you know, because you are used to m- milligrams and micrograms, and then uh, they, they go at the, the chemist, they see there's 25 micrograms. And then they think, oh, but doctor told me that you yeah. have to take 800 units. So how does it, you know, equal? Totally. So one unit mm. is 40. Uh, one microgram is equal to 40 units. So right. that's how. So you need 10 micrograms in order to your daily requirement is 400 units. And that's what you require. That's the minimum you require if you are living particularly in UK yeah. <laughs> or any other other country where you hardly find sun. So that, that was very interesting. I think very, very informative as well. Yeah. So, so just moving the, the subject on, because I did mention about his holiness, encouraging people to actually you know, go out there, have a healthy lifestyle um, and get involved um, with, with exercise, being healthy. Because, you know, you mentioned also earlier, gave two really good examples is the way our body has been created and God Almighty has given us the 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 ways to keep yourself healthy, like vitamin D is a very good example, and, and things like drinking lots and lots of water. But actually, we also have a responsibility, don't we, to keep, look after our own body and the way Absolutely. we eat and, and, the, and, and our behavior when it comes to, to food and the relationship. And to utilize the, the knowledge and the wisdom God has given us um, in, in, the, in the best, uh, you know, the, for the benefit of our body because we are supposed to this is this body is a trust from god and we have to take care of it and uh, so so the best way we, we can do is and I, I think a very beautiful principle i usually yeah. i usually tell everybody that you know the, the holy quran has given two basic principles for to keep you healthy the one is in chapter 7 verse 32 of the holy quran god almighty states oh children of adam Look to your adornment at every time and place of worship and eat and drink, but exceed not the bounds. That is one principle, that exceed not the bounds. Surely he does not love those who exceed the bounds. And the second principle is that uh, God Almighty says, Kulu mimma fil arde halalan toyiban. This is again another verse of the Holy Quran, which says that eat whatever is in the, in, in the earth, but it should be halal. That means it should be permissible, which uh, the Holy Quran has given the details, and also tayyiban. Tayyiban means which is good for you, which you require, which is your requirement. For example, a diabetic, if he starts taking a lot of amounts of honey, although honey is a very good yeah. <laughs> food, but, but it's not good for him, it's not tayyib for him. Yeah. So tayyib means something which is appropriate, which, yeah. is, uh, which is good for you, yeah. it doesn't harm you. Because many times you go out, you have a hef- you have a hefty meal. You say, "Oh God, I've overeaten." How many times have you heard that someone said, "Yeah, oh, <laughs> I've overeaten"? Do you think there there's a good principle to kind of before you go to sleep at night time, and you've had a big meal? I mean, most people have a big meal and then they go to sleep, which is not good. Is there? Is there a kind of limit? Because I know many people I speak to, they say, well, I don't eat after six o'clock. Or some people say, well, I will always eat before my last prayer of the day. Uh, but is there a kind of good practice that people should, I, I, should have? I, yeah, yeah, I think um, 
I think the basic principle is the holy, the 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 holy prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him. He acted upon those principles himself, and he advised that that one thing he said was that after your lunch, you should take some rest. Right. And second, he said that after dinner, you know, you should have a little walk. Right. right. Okay. So yeah. if you have that walk, yeah. I mean, even if you have. You sometimes you are late to 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 eat. Then you have a, a bit of a stroll, yeah. and you will be better off. But I think ideally is that when you are sleeping, you should feel hungry again. <laughs> <laughs> well, there and, you uh, go. Uh, that is that's some good advice. And, you know, and then you can have a bit of a snack or something like, uh, and that also should be healthy. Dry fruit yeah. is good. Yeah, maybe uh, some almonds, some uh, yeah. nuts will be fine, and and yeah. and then um, you you will enjoy your sleep better. Good. Well, uh, that's brilliant advice. And if anyone's got any other tips that they can give us as well on this show as we come nearer to the end. But just before we end, I did mention that we were going to um, play with you a pre-record of an interview we did with Professor Bola Awabali and also with Dr. Mohit Mandarita, who are, are, are professors and doctors known, right? So... Uh, the introduction to Professor Awalabi is uh, an NHS England's director for reducing healthcare inequalities, which I'm extremely passionate about, definitely so. And then Dr. Mohinderat is a GP working in the black country. So I want you to play this clip for you. And then it's really interesting because we really ask them questions about what's the best way to protect yourself in winter times. We're in that period now. And then what is the link between heat, sunlight and vitamin D and in our immunity? So, you know, enjoy that. And now I'm just going to play this for you now. Hello, I'm Bola Owolabi. Um, I'm a GP in the Midlands and I'm also NHS England's Director for Reducing Healthcare Inequalities. I'm Mohit Mandarata. I'm also a GP working in the Black Country. And today we are discussing things you can do to have a happier and a healthier winter. Our very first step is to get vaccinated. Vaccines are our most important defense against potentially life-threatening diseases. Measles cases are rising across England. So we are urging parents and guardians to please check that their children have had both doses of their MMR, i.e. the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine. And if they haven't, please get in touch with their GP surgery. Also, um, vaccines against respiratory viruses like flu, COVID-19 and pneumonia are especially important for people who live with long-term conditions like severe asthma, sickle cell, COPD, or people whose immune system is, is compromised. So if you're eligible, you still have time to get your flu vaccine by visiting your local community pharmacy or by contacting your GP. And your second step is taking up the free NHS health check for the over 40s. So we can spot if you have or you are at risk of developing things like high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, which is also known as CVD, or kidney disease or type 2 diabetes. CVD or cardiovascular disease and high blood pressure 
often have no noticeable symptoms, but damage related to these conditions can build up in the body over time without you realizing. And they can affect anyone, but are certainly more common in people with black or South Asian heritage, people with certain health conditions, as well as people with a learning disability. Identifying those conditions early really gives you the opportunity to make healthier lifestyle changes to prevent those conditions from developing in the first place, or if you already live with them, to stop them from worsening. Early identification means that we can use effective treatment, which can reduce the risk of a life-changing event. For example, a stroke or a heart attack, which can happen because of not knowing that you have a high blood pressure. If you're not eligible for a health check, take up the chance of a free blood pressure check for adults, which many local community pharmacies are now providing. Step four is to check your asthma inhaler technique and attend your asthma checks when you're invited. If you or your child has asthma, please always have yours or their inhaler ready and be confident in how to use it correctly. Your local pharmacy can help you check your inhaler technique is effective. You can use spaces which are better at getting the inhaled medication into your lungs. And obviously regular asthma checks, which often will be done at your GP practice, can help ensure you are on the right medication to manage your asthma in the best way possible. Staying warm in cold weather is really important because it helps to prevent illness. Age UK and the NHS UK websites both offer advice about how to stay warm and where to get help with the cost of heating. Vitamin D is produced by our bodies when our skin is um, exposed to sunlight. And we would all know in winter months, we don't often get much sunlight. It's very important for our bone health. It affects our energy levels and our mood, and it supports a healthy immune system, which again, when you've got lots of winter viruses circulating is very important. Often many of my patients who are lacking vitamin D will will report that they feel quite achy and tired and they might feel lethargic as well. So as much as we want you to be active during winter months, you might not be getting that sunlight to produce that vitamin D that you need. So you might well benefit from a daily supplement. And if you're keeping your skin covered or if you've got darker skin, you're more likely to need a vitamin D supplement all year round. So please seek advice from your pharmacist. The NHS is open for you. If something doesn't feel right, for example, you've had a cough lasting over three weeks, you've seen blood when you've gone to the toilet, or you found a lump or bump that you're worried about, Don't put it off. Make an appointment with your GP practice and speak with someone about it. It's really important. If you have a health condition that you need regular checks for, then it's very important to keep up with those routine appointments. And if you're an older person and you have a health condition that makes you vulnerable, then please come to us for advice. If you've been unwell or you're feeling worse, you may need additional or different treatment. And getting that promptly can really make the difference between having that care at home or needing to go into hospital. The the final step is think about how you look after yourself if or when you catch a cold or a bug. Most of these illnesses are viral and they will resolve on their own with little time and some rest. There may be vulnerable people around you who have chronic health conditions, and it's important to avoid spreading any infections. Practicing good hand hygiene is is as important as it always has been. If you are unwell, keep hydrated, rest. You know, if you need it and you're getting temperatures or any pain, paracetamol can help for for pain and any headaches you're getting or to bring down the temperature. But as Bowler's already mentioned, if you need advice, we are always here.
There's information and advice available on the NHS website, on the NHS app, or you can always speak to your local pharmacist or contact your GP practice for an appointment. Dr. Buller, Dr. Mohit, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with us and providing us some very valuable information. Well, there you go. I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, remember that if you want to get involved with our conversation, always give us a call on 0208-687-7878 and get in touch with us on our normal social media platforms. We're on all of them, actually. You know, just use the similar kind of handle that is at Voice of Islam UK. And and also uh, during during that um, interview, it was really interesting to learn about the ways that you can protect yourself especially in the winter months and also this link between heat sunlight and the vitamin d and also uh, me and uh, dr budget was talking about this whole thing about vitamin d and how actually it is so important to us because am i right in saying that we don't actually produce the vitamin d we need to get it from it yeah external. absolutely and it's not in your routine food either yeah yeah, you see that the only source which you you know our guest mentioned as well is the oily fish. Mm-hmm. So oily fish is the the best source, but the oily fish we are getting in the tinned form, yeah. it is uh, because it's not eating the same food Plankton itself. Food. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, so, maybe sardines still have some vitamin D, yeah. mackerel, uh, oil yeah, containing. Yeah. They can, but. Um, but the thing is that how many people can afford that kind of fish? Yeah. Okay. Particularly, you think of think of you know third world countries, for example, not only this country where we have uh, you know sources available, but um, you know then they have fortified the the, the yeah. milk which is required yeah. essential for the children because the bones get you know deformed, yeah. and and that's what yeah. and in, in adults you get osteomalacia, you get osteoporosis, all kinds of diseases. So I, I think it, it is it is um, essential vitamin, yeah. and so it's a it's a fat soluble vitamin. But it's also an interesting fact as well, which I want you to just explain because we we you mentioned it early at the beginning of the show yeah. that we talked about that actually this is a divine kind of revelation in the way that God looks after us in his own way and you just then you said something that not everyone can afford the oily fish and the mackerel and the salmon but God made some provisions in the end right? yeah yeah this is the thing this is where and I I I usually I mean sometimes I present it as a as a as a proof of existence of a creator existence of God because you know there has to be an intelligent creator who has thought over this that okay, this is something which is essential, which without which life would be in a difficult uh, position. So all the other vitamins, he has not made this system of you know con- converting a certain chemical into vitamin in your skin on exposure to sunlight. But this here is one vitamin which is not available in your normal food, and. God Almighty has arranged a system in which when you get exposed to sun, then you make your vitamin D and it is automatically made. It is it is not something you can do voluntarily. It is a, like it is something which is automatic and is going on. When you get once you get exposed that, you know, this uh, chemical is con- it, it, the precursor is sitting there mm. is just converts to the active form and you, you, you receive your vitamin D, which is essential for your life. You know, so if you have a kidney disease, 
you know, you you would suffer lack of vitamin D. If you have a liver disease where it is converted, cold calciferol, aragocalciferol is converted into active form, yeah. calcitriol in the liver. So if you have a liver disease, if you have a kidney disease, if you have intestinal disease where you can't absorb the vitamin D, so these are the conditions which are like uh, ongoing permanent conditions. But then we talked about the short-term conditions, like, you know, if you are pregnant, if you are nursing, yeah. if you are if you are getting exposed to an area where there is no sun, um, if you are covered all the time. So all these situations, then you need vitamin D. And, and there is an intelligent creator who, while creating you, has made this system. Yeah. And that's really interesting. And, and, that, and it is. Uh, just, just one proof. point, one yeah, point I wanted ahead. to clarify ahead, is yeah. that you know, ultraviolet light B, you need exposure to that. And if it does not cross the glass. So if you're sitting in a sunroom with the glasses, it will not, you will not you have, you have, it. you need a direct exposure to the ultraviolet be yeah. raised. So, so yeah, so go outside and, and get it. Don't sit in the <laughs> office. Don't sit crouched in front of the TV watching your your shows, whatever. Yeah, go in your garden or go for a walk down in, in the street. So look, thanks for that. Uh, that's a really good way of kind of ending the ending the show and putting that link back to what we believe very much of the ethos of, of Voice of Islam Radio um, and bringing in the existence of God and, and, and the Creator. Uh, in, in conclusion, we realise definitely the vitamin D is really important nutrient in our bodies and it, and it kind of is important for us to require healthy and, and being extremely at a good functioning level. I, I wanted to end by something that the fifth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community reminds us, or Hazrat Mr. Masur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper. And he does keep reminding us that the importance of the conscious of the fact that it is only actually that God heals us. And this is like leading on to what you Absolutely. you said earlier. So I'll just end by saying this, that uh, he said that there is an illness at one point that seemed actually untreatable, yet now there are treatments as if they are being treated very simply. And such progress should not lead one to think that God forbid that mankind holds an equal share in the sovereignty and the attributes of God God Almighty. In fact, it is a favour of God that he has granted humans with such intellect to discover new treatments after which God has bestowed his blessings and cures on people through these treatments. Allah the Almighty alone is the heir is the healer and as the holy prophet muhammad may peace and blessings of allah be upon him said that humans are compassionate thus every researcher who searches for cures to illnesses every doctor and healer should be compassionate to other human beings and their patients and should strive to for the betterment of humanity and i I can just give you a simple example back in the day used to break your arm you didn't know where you broke it, yeah. but we developed an X-ray machine. Right? Absolutely, yeah. we we developed things like penicillin that yeah, helps us yeah, cure yeah, for the rest of our life, and we know how the importance of chlorophyll. We we know all these things we developed because of we were suffering, so we needed to find a cure, and God Almighty gave us that intellect, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think that this, what His Holiness has explained, is, is clear in every day of our life. Look how many cancers now we're being able to uh, survive and people have been able to have a healthy life. So there you go. So that's kind of, hopefully, that's a, 
given us some idea of how There's important one prayer of the Holy Prophet yeah, you can end the show with. O Lord of people, grant relief from this illness, for you are the healer. There is no healing except that which comes from you. So grant complete healing without leaving a trace of illness. Thank you. Welcome back. Thank you very much for staying with us for the second hour where we will be talking about a fascinating subject of an individual person as well. I have a glimpse into his life, Muslim mold. Well, I'll be pleased with him. It's going to be a glimpse into his scholarly work. We've been discussing um, very many aspects of the Khalifa, the second Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the promised son and the Muslim mold, which we'll be talking about in a lot of detail today. But I wanted just to start with an introduction where the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had given the tidings of the advent of a spiritual, pious and the promised son of the Madi at a time when Islam would be at a stage of decline and depression. He had prophesied that he would come with a mission to revive and strengthen the Islamic theology and through him Islam would resurge on the surface of this earth. And when the era of the promised Messiah and the arrival of the promised son approached, Allah disclosed to the promised Messiah, additional aspects of this prophecy. And we're going to talk in a little bit more detail about that as well. But these kind of encompass the assurances that he shall be endowed and both worldly and spiritual wisdom, along with joyful news of the rise and progress of the accomplishments. And I think this is all happening in accordance with this prophecy. And His Holiness, Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, he was born to the promised Messiah, may Allah be pleased with him, who would also go on to be chosen by God as then the second caliph. And he later also announced that, in fact, he was the very son foretold by God to the promised Messiah. May Allah be pleased with him. And this is what we're going to be delving into, myself and Dr. Bajwas, into how we got into this. But the aspects that we're going to be concentrating on is having a a glimpse into his scholarly work. But Dr. Bajwas, I just wanted to also, in my kind of introduction here, where we talked about the arrival of the promised Messiah and the arrival of the promised son, His Holiness Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed, who may Allah be pleased with, who became the second caliph. At that time, um, Islam, especially in India, was down in the dumps in a way, wasn't it? And there was nothing really happening. Many people had a different view on it. It was just many people in their name. I think it is otherwise the situation in India particularly at that time and it's interesting that how God Almighty had chosen um, the reformer of the time to come in India yes the reason was that this was a place where all the religions had got together there was Christianity in India there was Hinduism and Hinduism had uh, multiple sects as well. There is Arya Samaj, there is Sanatan Dharam. Then, um, uh, then there are 
other uh, you know buddhism buddhism yes. was there the buddha yeah. was there then the new you know um, part of they may call hinduism the sikhism also yeah. was originated there and each one of them was trying to prove that they are right and all of them together was trying to prove that islam was wrong yeah and there were lots of allegations put against not only the teachings of islam but on the person of the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad may peace and blessings of allah be upon him so that is the i, I personally feel that that was one of the reasons why god almighty chose out of the whole of the earth this place india mm. to be the place where he sent the reformer yeah. of the time yeah. who was supposed to unite all the religions together on one platform to bring all of them together yeah. because according to his teachings each and every religion is true and is from god almighty the only problem with these religions have been but that as man has evolved over the time the teachings each individual religion was given was for that particular period yeah. and as the human beings evolved further so so the religion also evolved yeah. and the the religious teachings were evolved yeah. so one after the other there was an improvement yeah. so we don't say that the previous religion was wrong that right. was also from god yes. and it's the same god who is sending yeah. that but because man was not capable of taking that full sort yeah. of uh, uh, training education in information you know, understanding all yeah, those concepts yeah, understanding the concepts yes. so yeah. when the human beings evolved to the peak mm. then the prophet who was at the peak was sent yeah. and that was the holy prophet of islam prophet yeah. muhammad may peace be upon him and he is the one then who prophesies that what will happen in future is that people would not not that islam will change but the way people interpret the holy quran there will be differences yeah and because of those differences the sects will be created as previously the sects have been created in the other religions as well i think it's really important where you say there that the interpretation of the quran which are, but the texts never changed it never changed has it never, has never changed, even yeah. an iota has not been changed so when people are reading it it's exactly the same arabic text that was revealed uh, to the holy prophet muhammad may peace and blessings be upon exactly. him exactly word for word, word no for word. yeah yes, absolutely by the angel gabriel which was the same angel that came and taught on all the prophets all the prophets yeah absolutely right? so no doubt about this that this thing about the interpretation of the original text is is why we had so many changes and and also reiterate what you said is that the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him his whole mantra was that he came for everyone the whole of mankind the whole of mankind that was his claim yeah yeah nobody else actually made that claim yeah. before him So when you then talk about the explanation of India you're right because even if we go back in time right the way prior to the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him and before that many religions at some point established themselves in the india subcontinent and also we when we talk about uh, after jesus's um situation on the cross 
we still say that Jesus Christ, produced by the promise of Messiah, did not die on the cross. He continued on his journey because he still had to find the other uh, parts the of, lost tribes the of Israel. And yeah. he traveled through India as well, right? Absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. your understanding is quite makes a lot of sense to me as well because all the modern uh, religions which are quite prevalent in the world today as we see like Buddhism, uh, Sikhism, uh, Judaism, Christianity and Islam were there and I love the fact that we talked about they were competing to prove yeah, yeah. but they all got together to prove that Islam and at that time Islam was really and as I said were down yeah, and out yeah, right? Absolutely, absolutely because because there was nobody to stand for Islam to protect or defend um, the allegations against raised against the Holy Prophet of Islam, and because of that, you know, everybody was, um, you know, because there was nobody to compete with them. That's why they were, you know, uh, they were encouraged to 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 be, yeah. uh, you know, more to become more prominent, so that they can they can preach their own um, religion or whatever they yeah. believe. This might be going slightly off topic, but actually, during that time as well, even in the Muslim. Um, clerics, they were also kind of understanding then that actually Jesus Christ did not actually die, what died on the cross or effectively didn't die, his physical body was ascended well, raised to, to heaven. heaven. Yeah. And yeah. there were many things that Muslims were even and thinking be- about be- that. Yeah, and because of these misunderstandings, yeah. the Christians were taking advantage of that and lots of Christians were converting to lots of um, uh, Muslims or or even Hindus. They were converting them to Christianity, giving the evidence that, look, you know, you you believe that Jesus is sitting up in the heavens, whereas your prophet has died and his grave is in Medina. So, So these were the points which, you know, when the promised reformer who was prophesied by the holy prophet of Islam, Prophet mm-hmm. Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He prophesies that in the latter days, when people will go away from the religion, the, a, a reformer will come and through him, Islam will revive again. Yeah. And interestingly, the topic we are you know, going to speak on today, he gave a sign of this promised reformer, the promised Messiah al-Islam is his second is, is his other name. He he gave a sign that in order to recognize him, he gave you know various various signs that he yeah. will have this will happen, this will happen. One of the signs he gave was that he will marry and he will have children. And in addition he said that he will have a son who will have certain characteristics, who will be born on the um, nature of his father. And he will, through him, his message will reach throughout the world. So these were specific wordings which were the prophecy given by the Holy Prophet of Islam. Because it really does make you reflect because when the promised Messiah did pass away, his son, who we just referred to now, the promised son, his holiness, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, Allah be pleased with him, was very young at that time. Yeah, he was only 19. He was only 19. And at that moment, he even said in his own mind out loud that I will carry on your mission. Not his mission, 
Yom. But the mission of his father, who was the promised yeah, he, Messiah. He, yeah, they, those are very historic words, yeah. but because at that age, you know, you are a teenager, yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, uh, his, his mother tells him that your father has n- left nothing worldly, but don't worry, yeah. he has left a prayer of prayers for you, which will mm-hmm. remain with you. And he, on his own, he's thinking, he's standing by the bedside of is the you know the dead body of um, of the the reformer of the time, who has uh, you know obviously the whole world knows him that this is his claim that his message is going to reach the corners of the earth, mm. and he stands there and he promises, he makes a covenant, and he says that even if each one of your followers leaves you, I am the ones who will actually continue okay. your to to make your message reach the corners of that. Yeah, I mean, you have wet everyone's appetite now who are listening into this show <laughs> because we're going to delve more deeper into and expand on those moments because there's quite a lot of historic moments that took place which we'll get into. But also on, on this one, because we've been talking about this subject for a few days on Voice of Islam, one, we've been tasked today to talk more about his scholarly work and when I looked at some of the notes I'm amazed by how many pages and how many volumes he's actually written yeah I, I think just just before that just yeah, giving, giving a glimpse that you know because you know the promised uh, Messiah yeah. on whom be peace he was um, like bombarded with the um, uh, with the questions with the allegations and and actually the people living in Qadian yeah. who were Hindus, Aryas, they came to him and they say that you are challenging the whole world that I you come to me and I'll show you the sign of my truth. Why, why don't you show us a sign of truth? We are living here with you. Why don't you show, show us a sign? So at this, you know, he thought and he prayed to God Almighty and he was guided that he should go to a place called Hushyarpur, uh, which is, you know, he was living in Kadian, a very, yeah. very small village. From there, this is a, a slightly bigger town, which is about, I think it's about 40 or 60 miles from there. So he traveled all the way. He went to Hushyarpur, and he, in solitude, in isolation, he prayed for 40 days continuously to the level that nobody could see him. Even his food was put in front of his door, and he would eat it and then leave the, the utensils outside. And and that's how he did not meet anybody. He continued, continuously played for 40, 40 days. And then he, after, after completing this, he said that God Almighty has responded to my, um, to my uh, prayers, my supplications, and he, he has answered to me, in which he has told me that I will have a son. Now, and then he said that this son is not an ordinary son. Yeah. And he mentioned 52 qualities of this person who is yet to be born. Yeah. And and then one of those characteristics which was mentioned by him was that he will be filled with both spiritual and secular knowledge. Yeah. 
So that's what we are. That's the what yeah. one point we're no, going it's to talk a, it's about. A, it's absolutely brilliant way to kind of help us guide us through. And as I said, most of our shows on Voice of Islam are they're all on SoundCloud. If you wanted to pick up many more of those, just log into Voice of Islam's SoundCloud, and you can listen to all of the Drive Time shows. And there's a lot more information in all of those. But yes, we're going to get into a lot more detail. But we we are joined with um, a guest who has come joining us from all the way from the United. States, and I would like to welcome Wasim Sayed Saab, and he's a member of the National Executive Committee of the United States of America, and I'd like to welcome him to the Drive Time Show. Um, Wasim Saab, thank you very much for joining us today. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum to you and all the all the listeners. Yeah, right. thank you. Peace thank you. Peace thank you. So we've got like quite a number of questions for you, but actually the the it can go anywhere you want it to go, because... The subject is so vast, and, and as we mentioned, there are so many prominent qualities. But I, I, I did want to just start with an opening kind of question with you, and between myself and Dr. Bajrasal, we'll ask you them. And then anything else you want to throw in, by all means, do. I mean, can you just provide us like a brief detail of the prophecy of Muslim the promise of reform, and we kind of alluded to it already um, and in the way it all came about um, in its I mean I've got to say entirety but you might not have enough time but anyway if you could just focus on certain aspects that uh, where it says that he shall be filled with secular and spiritual knowledge and this is what Dr. Bajrasab sure. mentioned in terms of alluding to can you just give us a glimpse of that for us sure you know, there, there is a there are two two approaches that normally people take to responding to this question. Yeah. There, there's the approach where I can cite the you know the seventy five thousand pages of yeah. his scholarly work, including topics you know from just about every sphere of human endeavor. You know, whether it's economics, whether it's uh, you know the uh, military and defense of a country or whether it is uh, him talking about uh, the political situation of kashmir and pakistan and india being created or the independence of many many uh, countries that were under uh, colonial rule during his time but uh, there is another approach that i want to take actually which is i think far more um, uh, insightful so uh, it's it's a, it's a, the, the first of all first and foremost i think prophecy is a, a spectacular proof of the truth of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Because he had prophesied that uh, Isa ibn Maryam will descend, marry, and have children. You know, mm-hmm. he had said yeah. that uh, this is something that uh, anybody and everybody who, you know, comes uh, into this world, they, they marry, they have children. But the uh, it didn't, this did not just mean that... Uh, the Mahdi and the Messiah, when they would come in the latter days, would marry and have children and have a son. But uh, there was an indication in this mentioned by the Prophet. You know, you have to know who it is that speaks. And uh, all the details of what Muhammad Wasallam had, uh, peace be upon him, had said very succinctly and very eloquently by simply stating that uh, he married and he would have children, uh, was uh, laid out in this prophecy. And when you read the words of the prophecy, and as you were just mentioning, they're probably available on your site and everything, there are so many qualities mentioned of this son that uh, uh, one can go on listing and whatnot. But I thought 
I would uh, give a little insight into the to the to the listeners. This uh, these qualities, his uh, resolve, his uh, secular and uh, spiritual knowledge, his uh, connection to God, his uh, uh, patience, his uh, you know uh, compassion. All of these things were mentioned, and he was promised victory and prevalence, and uh, through him, the message of Islam would reach the corners of the earth, all of these things. But, uh, you know, when you have a test, and he was tested <laughs> at the <laughs> earliest stage you can possibly imagine, at age 24, this is uh, probably uh, the greatest display, in my estimation, uh, of the manifestation of all those prof- uh, qualities that the prophecy of uh, the founder of uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community um, had set forth in this prophecy. In uh, 1908, you know, his father, the prominent Messiah, the man who claimed to be the imam of this age, raised by God to bring mankind back in touch with God, he had passed away in 1908. And um, Khilafat, the divinely established institution on the precept of prophethood had been re-established in the person of Hazrat uh, you know, the first successor, Hazrat yes. Maulvi Nuruddin, may yes. Allah be pleased with him. And now, in 1914, he had just passed away. And, uh, you know, there was a very vehement and a prominent, educated, powerful uh, group within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community who had been planning for precisely this eventuality. They stood uh, against him, bent on putting an end to this uh, spiritual institution that had just been established, you know, six years earlier. And uh, they wanted, a, what they wanted, by the way, uh, was a, a corporation, essentially. They wanted a, it, the community to be run by a board of directors yeah. of, a, of a corporate world, you know. And Slafat uh, for them was uh, just to be represented as a figurehead. So Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmad, I'll be pleased with him, had uh, to take them on almost single-handedly. And this is immense wisdom. Yeah. And he was very young at this time, right? It wasn't as if he was at a very mature age. He was 24 rate, years old. 24 years old, yeah. He was 24 years old, and he was faced by the likes of Maulvi Muhammad Ali and uh, Khawaja Kamaluddin, Figure, you know, f- figures in the history of Ahmadiyat itself, very prominent. Yeah. Uh, and they had been, you know, planning, and uh, if uh, the emotions of the people were not handled properly, if uh, they were not guided properly, it required tremendous resolve on his part at age 24. Hmm. Resolve of the highest caliber. And then, you know, you can't force these things, so it, it required immense patience. There were the emotions of thousands of people who were gathered at the demise of the Khalifa. It required compassion. But above all, I think it required a connection with God, what we call Taluk Billah. A real living connection with the living God, because, you know, to mold and move the hearts of people is in the power of God. And so he had to display all of these qualities, and he brought them all to bear upon this uh, immense problem because this divinely is re-established institution of Khilafat, yeah. it was, uh, you know, it was the only thing. Just a, a few days ago, I was talking with a, a young man who was interested in Ahmadiyyat, and he was asking, how do I distinguish between the true and the false, you know? Yeah. 
And I said to him, look, when you go out to buy gold, you have to have in mind what the qualities of gold are before you can go and just buy it from anybody who claims he's selling you gold. Yeah. So if you want to know the quality of Islam, what are the things that characterize it? I said the yeah. first thing is oneness, unity. And the second thing that comes to my mind is the love and affection and brotherhood. And if you find that amongst the people that you are talking to, they are the ones who are representing true Islam. Yeah, and also and you, you know, mentioned about Taluk as well, didn't you? This relationship he had with God Almighty, which made it more pure in a way. It, it made it pure and yeah. it provided him the support. You know, in the Holy Quran, Allah talks to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, yeah. and says that I brought, you know, the hearts together with you. And if you had spent all the wealth in the earth and, uh, you know, whatever is you can get, you couldn't have done it. So it's, it's really the help of Allah that he had to get up at night and, uh, you know, get the assistance in order to be able to handle it. And he handled it uh, and he prevailed over these towering personalities that I mentioned to you before. And this is uh, really the testament to him possessing those qualities that you talk about. He had the secular knowledge. He knew what politics is about. He knew all the machinations that were being carried out. He understood them and he handled them. He had knowledge of the, what should we say, uh, spiritual kind, so that he could guide and speak to the people who were gathered there and, and, and move them towards God and towards accepting this. Then this is just uh, you know the beginning, the beginning test of his uh, yeah. what should we say qualities, and and you know what happened right after that. I mean, ten years later or twenty years later in 1934, yeah. there was this other astounding manifestation of these same qualities because this was a very powerful political movement, yeah. and they came to Qadian. They they said we are going to destroy Qadian and wipe out the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Yeah, I mean, if you mentioned in 1934, at that moment, he's probably just we've just gone through the First World War as well, and during that time, it was a very precarious moment as well, right? It was very precarious, yeah. and uh, the backing that this uh, community of Ahrar had went right up all the way to the you know powerful institutions in the government and so on, and and they said, and they were very confident because they were backed by the government. Yeah. And he demonstrated at that time, uh, you know, his mastery of the fields of politics and uh, all of the, you know, machinations and his, again, his taluk billah. Because when the danger was the utmost, my father was there. He used, he was in Kadian, you know, in those days. And he tells stories of what kind of vehemence these uh, attacks had, you know, on, on, on uh, the earth. And he, the promised son, the one who we're talking about, who had all these qualities, mm. he said, Allah has told me that these people are here to destroy my community. He said, Allah has told me that Allah will move the earth from beneath their feet, you know? And yeah. uh, that's precisely what happened. Yeah. Those uh, yeah. people who erstwhile were thinking of dominating and destroying Ahmadiyya, yeah. uh, they were humiliated. Yeah. They were defeated. But I mean, you know, defeating the enemy is not the only thing. He yeah. started... Yeah. A new kind of, uh, you know, uh, what should you say, scheme. And he said, not only are they not going to kind of destroy this community, through this, Allah has told me that this community is going to spread to the corners of the earth. And, you know, today, 90 years later, 
2024, yeah. 90 years later, that Tariq Ejdeed has established missions of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in 212 plus countries. Yeah. And, the, and the rate of progress, it just goes on, increasing and increasing. Yeah, I mean, we, we won't we won't mention what happened to the breakaway because I don't think they exist anymore. <laughs> because I think uh, well, history tells you know, us one the of truth. Our, right? our library and missionary in charge yeah. went to one of their biggest places and uh, saw on the mosque that they only open once a week for you know prayer. Okay. Well, right. So, so time is, is is a testament to the truthfulness and and what he did. So you you know you've kind of really nicely summarized his resolve in what he believed in but was there something on a significant scholarly accomplishment of his holiness please with him that you know really made you feel that wow this is way beyond anyone could even oh. imagine Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one of his earliest books that I read was the, you know, discussion he had on the economic uh, structure of uh, Islam, and uh, he compared in that little book. And I mention this because it was one of the earliest that I read. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, having spent now the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years learning more and more, I think his uh, magnum opus, his his greatest work, is uh, without doubt the Tafsir Kabir, the great. Exegesis, you know, that the review of religions, those of your listeners who are aware of this magazine, they have taken on to try and present the translation of it. But it is a humongous, uh, uh, you know, effort uh, translating and uh, providing commentary based on uh, knowledge of all fields of uh, human endeavor. Yeah. I, I think I want to again emphasize one more thing here. Yes. It's not just that he wrote this book. This this immense and very profound commentary on the Holy Quran and its verses, but you know he inspired, he created, uh, and he brought into being institutions within this community that produced mountains, you know, kind of massive, talented personalities. You know, if if you have uh, God within you, if you are godly, if you have knowledge, if you have, uh, if you possess something, then you can give it to others. If you don't possess it, how can you give it to others? And uh, he created, if you look at the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, that uh, he brought into being and the institution that he created, the two Khalifas that followed, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood, may Allah be pleased with him, yeah. they, are, they are all together, you know, a, a kind of a different divine phenomenon. But there were other towering personalities produced by him. Mm. There were the thousands, if you like, missionaries that went all over the world. Yeah. I met some of them. Um, you know, they were amazing people. I worked with Professor Dr. Abdul Salam. He was my supervisor for my PhD. He won the Nobel laureate from a yeah. tiny little community. Yeah. And compare yeah. the hundreds of millions of other Muslims. Yeah. And then, of course, not to mention Hazrat Saudi Muhammad Zafullah Khan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. Now, I had the honor of taking dictation from him for you know long periods of time in uh, 1976 mm. onwards. And you see the holiness and the scholarliness and the devotion and dedication that these towering personalities had towards the service of Islam. They knew they were, they were great people in their own fields, you know, no doubt about it, but they were devoted to using all that knowledge for the sake of Islam. 
It's an interesting. He was the one who put. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, you carry on finishing what you said, but I was going to say it's really interesting. Even today, we still haven't finished translating all his work. <laughs> There's still so much more work to be done. <laughs> what he left in his treasures. There's immense work to be done. There is, uh, in fact, uh, uh, if, uh, you know, it perhaps is a, some people might think it's a, a, an omission, but, you know, the rate at which the community has been expanding and all of the people, the mentions of which I just made, you know, the missionaries and right. the personalities like Hazrat Chaudhry Mohammed Khan. In 76, he gave up his uh, presidency of the International Court of Justice and came back to London and he said, you know, now I'm going to devote my time to translating all the works as much as I can. And he started working on the essence of Islam, which is, uh, you know, quotes from the writings of the Holy Founder. But Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood's works, may Allah be pleased with them, are not even touched almost yeah. in terms of translation. Yeah. And, and also, there was this whole thing about the financial situation at that time, wasn't it? Where where we're talking about the humble beginnings. Obviously, we're talking the now where we are. You talked about all of the establishments of all the centers around the world. But they didn't just... There was no pop, was there? There was no... It, it, it just came... You know, there the, was zilch, as people say, at the beginning. So how did, how did the absolutely. community just expand all over the world? It's a, it's, a, it's a testament to the divine nature of things that he, Allah brings from nothing and I will illustrate this in a very concrete form yeah the mosque in London that was built by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community the first one in in uh, Elfield that mosque was built by the sacrifices of the ladies of the Ahmadiyya Muslim communities you know who were inspired by his words by the words of Hazrat Mizar Bashiruddin Mahmud Allah be pleased with him to just take off their jewelry and present what little they had mm. and at that time by the way there were other very wealthy Muslims, and uh, all kinds of efforts were being made to do this or do that and bring about the construction of a mosque in London. But it was the sacrifice of these poor ladies of the Ahmadiyya Muslim in Qadian. Can you imagine sending, you know, rupiahs from there to build a mosque in London? And lo and behold, you know, Allah took the sacrifice of these poor people, poor ladies, and uh, blessed it with his abundance. You know, when we talk about Allah blessing things, a lot of people yes. say this word blessing, but they, they don't know what it really means. That word mm. word is barakat. And if you look it up in the dictionary, it means abundance. Yeah. So Allah talks about it in the Holy Quran, to sacrifice in his way, he makes it abundant. You know, he not only makes it abundant, but he also bestows abundance upon you. I, and the answer to your last sentence is exactly that. Where did it all come from? Yeah, it came but, from God. Because the thing I would, the reason I was alluding to that was because when you do look at the kind of history of the, the mosque in London, in South London, as Fuzzle Mosque, and you've explained it was built by the sacrifices of the ladies of the community back in India, where there was literally no pot. Prior to that, wasn't there already a fund that was where people had the w willingness or wantiness or the urge to build a, a mosque in the UK? And it was money was donated by many people from around the world, but they never actually managed to build it. But our community built it in the end. It, it, it comes back 
point that I said, the greatest contribution of Hazrat Mirza Bashir in Mahmoud Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, was the safeguarding and the strengthening and the establishment and the, you know, making it absolutely impregnable, the institution of Khilafat, which is what is a divinely inspired yeah. spiritual leadership that connects people to God and uh, from his unity, you know, you get the unity infused in the community of people. Yeah. And without that unity, you can have all the wealth in the world. Just look at what's happening today. Uh, Mr. Sayyid, yeah. I just want to ask one specific question. Um, that regards, you know, a book which was written by uh, the uh, second caliph, uh, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad. It was uh, called A Gift to the Prince of Wales. And he wrote it in a very short period and gave, it was presented to Prince Edward, who, who later on became King Edward VIII. So, can you tell us about you know what sort of an impact this book had? Oh, oh this, this, this is a, this is just a marvelous question. It really is because if you go to the Indo-Pak continent today, people talk about Iqbal, you know, the great renowned poet, and they talk about Sir Sayyid Ahmed, mm -hmm. you know, who was another great renowned philosopher among the Muslims. Uh, contemporaries of the holy founder of the community, and of course of. Uh, uh, you know, Sir Zayed Ahmed had passed away in 1898, so he wasn't there when uh, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud, may Allah be pleased with him, took the reins of this community. And I am amazed, I think, when I try to discover if any of these great people amongst the Muslims ever dared to invite the high and mighty people of their time to accept Islam. Hmm. You know, the holy, this is, by the way, this was just the tradition of the Holy Prophet, Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, being continued by the promised Messiah himself, Allah have uh, bestow peace on him, and uh, the holy uh, son of the promised Messiah, because he sent his companions with the message inviting the kings of the great emperors and the great emperors of that time to accept Islam, you know. So, Hazrat Muslim Maud, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood, the man we're talking about today, when uh, Prince Edward, when uh, the Prince of Wales at that time, he came to India in December of 21, and uh, he was there for quite a while, he was uh, very, very well treated by all kinds of local rulers and rajas and maharajas, and they gave him tremendous you know, ceremonial pomp and joy and gifts and so on. But the head of the Amdiya Muslim community, he gave him a book, and he said, this is a book that has been published by the sacrifices of uh, 32,000 of my members. I am the head of more than half a million loyal subjects of yours. But look what he says to him, and you can, you know, the impact you can gauge. He said to the Prince of Wales, if it is true that a tree is known by its fruit, then what has Christianity to offer as against this delicious fruit of Islam? He goes on to say, is there a single man throughout Christendom who can show one hundredth part of the signs shown by the holy founder of the Amdi Muslim community? He says, uh, Jesus says, if you have a faith as grain as a grain of mustard seeds, seed, nothing shall be impossible unto you. Then is there not one in the length and breadth of Christendom who has faith as a grain of mustard seed? He ends by saying, our good prince, a living faith exhibits the signs of light, and we realize within ourselves that Islam is a living faith. The signs and wonders which Islam can show have not ceased with the death of the Prophet Messiah. For if that had been so, Islam too would have been a dead faith. He invited him to 
look at this gift because he said, you know, this is a gift that will not be stolen by anybody. It's a gift that will not die with you. It's a gift that will not leave you, you know, uh, hard up for anything. Yeah. He kept uh, again and again from all kinds of angles. He invited him uh, to the faith of Islam, Ahmadiyyat. And uh, it had, uh, you know, the impact that you can assess. Uh, yeah. and, and I mentioned Iqbal and Sir Sayyid and yeah. all of, uh, you know, these people and all these leaders. Because it's only really when you compare that you really get the sense of a man's worth, yeah. you know? I mean, it's really amazing the way you kind of describe and, you know, you could, like, it's like you've got a vivid imagination of exactly what was going on in there. And obviously today we're seeing the situation play out with Israel and Palestine, this war. But if we went back, I mean, his ability in his politics as well was outstanding. I mean, could you shed some light into his holiness on his political insights, and especially back at that time regarding Palestine and how pertinent it was um, to now in the present times? Oh, yes. And again, you know, it's not just Palestine. Yeah. He talked about and helped the countries who were still colonized gain freedom from their colonialists you know, uh, uh, people who are running their countries. And, of course, in the creation of Pakistan itself. You know, if you look at Pakistan itself, all the spiritual leaders at that time, other than Hazrat Mirza Bashir Mahmood Ahmad, all the Maulvis, all the Muslim religious divines, two or one were totally uh, sightless. They had not the insight to understand what was going on mm. politically. And what was the need people of uh, India who were represented by, you know, Muslim leaders like Muhammad Ali Jinnah, who was the one who actually, he, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood, Allah be pleased with him, was instrumental in bringing back to India from London for the purpose of helping to bring about the creation of Pakistan. But so coming back to, you know, the situation of, the, of Palestine, yeah. uh, before the United Nations uh, General Assembly made the oppressive injustice unjust decision to divide Palestine. It was Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood, Allah be pleased with him, who warned and cautioned the Muslim world. And not just that he wrote it, you know, or he gave a small speech. He wrote these, uh, you know, amazing, uh, insightful, reasoned uh, discourses, and he spread them and printed them far and wide amongst the uh, Arabs and non-Arab countries uh, alike. He warned the Muslims in those uh, uh, tracts that uh, they should not be naive and consider the West as their enemy and the East as their ally or the other way around. And he tried to bring alive in them, he tried to incite in them a sense of honor mm. by referring to the history of Islam. He wanted them to, he wanted love for Islam to well up in the hearts of the Muslims and he used his eloquence and his uh, uh, reasoned understanding of things to try and you know well up that love for uh, for for Islam, and he said to them that the only way they would succeed is if they forget their mutual animosity and unite. And uh, they, these words of his they resonated uh, with the with the Arabs of uh, the Arab world of that time. And then of course when the UN did the you know they passed their cruel and unjust decision, he uh, wrote another article. Uh, that was also published in abundance. And uh, this article 
uh, went on to talk about now the practical steps that Muslims should take after the UN's decision that would help them regain what they had lost. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, there is a very famous um, journalist, an Iraqi journalist, who wrote a, a very, uh, what should we say, informative uh, article of the machinations of many of these Western nations who, seeing these tracks, seeing the impact they were having on the people, uh, went around to talking to journalists. And, you know, this, this, this uh, practice of buying journalists and using them to spell, uh, spread misinformation and, yeah. uh, uh, what should we say, incite people to go in the wrong direction. It's uh, as old as the uh, media exists. So this Iraqi journalist uh, wrote that uh, people from uh, one of these colonial powers, after seeing the impact of uh, the writings of Hazrat Mirza Bashir al-Mahmud, may Allah be pleased with him, they came to him and they wanted to buy him and wanted him to start writing articles creating dissension against the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in the world, you know. So the impact of uh, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih Sani, Hazrat Mirza Bashir bin Mahmud, who became the second uh, Khalifa of the community, uh, were tremendously powerful. And uh, they are borne witness to by the fact that the colonial powers uh, started to, you know, go around the countries and purchase uh, whichever journalists they could to write pieces, you know, write, write uh, kind of uh, hit pieces, if you like against the Anglo-Muslim community. Mm. Mr. Sayed, we would like you to continue, but uh, I'm, I'm afraid we, we are uh, we have a limited time. But uh, still, I would like ask uh, my last question. What were the key points highlighted mm. by His Holiness, Mr. Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, in, in Ahmadiyyat, the true Islam, you know, the book he had written, uh, and uh, that generated praise even from Christian priests. And how did he invite the world to accept Ahmadiyyat? Great question. This this uh, this mm. was published uh, in 1924. It was really uh, a much uh, expanded version of a talk that he gave. He was invited to come and give at the Conference of Living Religions within the Empire uh, in London, and it is really beautifully arranged. This book. Uh, it's it's the the after describing in the beginning he describes the Ahmadi Muslim community and all the places in the world where its members exist. And uh, he, he lays out the four basic objectives that a religion uh, has to, if you like, fulfill. You know, it has to present the conception of God and his relation to man and, and how he can, man can communicate with him. And then he presented the Islamic teachings on the moral and social aspects, uh, relationships within the family, the community, uh, between partners in business and government, you know, and society in general. Yeah. Uh, then he talked about society, and then finally he talked about you know the human soul and life after death. So these these four, this arrangement was such a wonderful and uh, intellectually appealing thing. And he dealt with each of these aspects, not uh, you know kind of uh, offhandedly, but he referred them directly to the Holy Quran and the sayings and the practices of the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be on him. And, and this made it, this book a kind of a, an authentic uh, and unique dissertation uh, on Islam referred back to the very essential, if you like, and authentic sources uh, of Islam. So this is really the, if you like, uh, yeah. attractive uh, presentation on Islam. I, I guess the world probably saw uh, presented by the author himself at the uh, religion 
uh, conferences. And yes. I think, as you mentioned earlier, yeah. the priests and everybody who read it had a, had a, were, were impacted by it, you know, themselves. Yeah, and, and I think most of the world were impacted by it as well. Just kind of near, near to the end, we're talking about his scholarly achievements and his writings. And that, could you just shed some light? We all know about the magazine, the Al-Fazl magazine which also started in his time and there's a there's a whole kind of philosophy behind that as well and how that gave him his international influence as well because it was a magazine that was international and it spoke about so many subjects and many of his lectures his writings were in that magazine that actually when people talk about the history of the the world in itself, you cannot ignore his writing and Al-Fazl played a massive role in that. So again, it was a divine thing as well. Can you just shed some light on its humble beginnings and to where it is today? Al- yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's reach today. Uh, if you just, you know, uh, again, I invite the listeners yeah. to go and uh, type Al-Fazl, A-L-F-A-Z-L, international into their Google, uh, you know, and and see how uh, this newspaper takes. And, and I think that the characteristic I want to highlight, I don't want to talk about the history of it. I haven't really got it in front of me. But okay. of course, ever since I started becoming, uh, what should we say, an adult eh, in 1973, when I was kind of 18, 19 years old, and starting my bachelor degree, when I came to the London Mosque, I would sit in the room next to, you know, where the imam sat and read Al-Fazl. There was another newspaper also called Badr. Mm. But these newspapers have always provided the one essential thing that Islam has an answer to current events, current situations, current, uh, you know, the things that are boggling and uh, bothering minds of human beings and, and just, you know, disrupting their mental health. And, and causing havoc, wreaking, wreaking havoc. So when I, at that tender age, would read the Al-Fazl, I would read the fresh khutbah. Well, in those days, it was like six weeks old. And now today, yeah. you can have the fresh guidance of a man who claims to be occupying an office divinely established called Khilafat. You know, the spiritual leadership of yes, based on the precept of prophethood. So I think Al-Fazl, during... He started it, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmed. Uh, may Allah uh, be pleased with him. He started it. and uh, Yeah, I mean, he was at the age of 24 when, when, when he started it. And again, it was like, a, I think it was in June 1913 um, when when it was first created. But actually, the name of Hazrat Al-Fazl was, um, was chosen by... The first Khalifa before him, His Holiness um, Mulvi Nuruddin, who was the first Caliph of the Promised Messiah, and he approved that venture. But uh, but it was him who started it, and look where it is today. And look look where it is today, and look at the style. You know, it talks first. It talks about the Holy Quran whenever it talk, it goes to the source, and then you know you talk about the Sunnah or the uh, practice, and then you talk about the Hadith, and then you have the uh, writings and the clarifications and the insights uh, that Allah sent to mankind in this day and age through the Imam of the age, through the Messiah, the Mahdi, the holy founder of the Amdi Muslim yeah. community. 
And uh, as I said, aptly, uh, appropriately, you know, the things that you need to know about what's going on today, that was from 1913, whenever, you know, you said June, I think. Yeah. When it started until today, this is what Al-Fazl has been providing. Yeah. So just, we've literally come to the top of the hour now, and I and I really have not got much more time, but just in about 20 seconds for our listeners, I can, you know, if there was one thing that you would say to our listeners and say, just look at this, this cannot be something that just was created by humans, had no intervention, it had to be from God Almighty, what would it be? I, I would say, look at the claims made by the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community 130-some years ago, compare them to the situation where he was in a tiny little hamlet in India in 1889 when he started this. And then, you know, three years prior to this, he made a prophecy about the birth of this son who would do these amazing things. Look at them and then pray to God and seek guidance. And even if you don't believe in him, yep. even as a hypothetical situation, you know, put into the, into the real, uh, I think, the sad and troubling, almost start of Third World War III kind of a dilemma, and the pain and anguish contained in the heart, just turn it towards God and ask, you know, if you exist, show me in a way. And, you know, God has the power to show. If I can convince somebody of something, I can assure my our listeners that uh, God can convince you of his existence. Yeah. So look at the situation where it started, look at where it is today, yeah. and uh, seek the help of God to achieve guidance. That's fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. I really enjoyed our conversation with you, Wasim Saab, and it's brilliant. And I look forward to speaking to you again on other matters as well. God willing. Jazakallah. I'm so grateful to your kind words. Mm. Uh, may Allah bless us all. Thank you very much. And we really enjoyed ourselves today. Thank you. So that was um, Saeed Wasim Saab calling from uh, USA, who was part of the National Executive Committee from there. I, it was it was fascinating. I mean, I just wanted to just end very quickly if I have just enough time from His Holiness Mr. Masood Ahmed, who's the fifth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community. Malabi is helping. He said it during the Friday sermon that was delivered on the 17th of February. And in the words of the promised Messiah, he mentioned about the prophecy, or rather that which Allah the Almighty revealed to the promised Messiah. It's all been fulfilled many times in His Holiness Mr. Bashir Adin Mahmoud Ahmed and may Allah be pleased with him and we have spoken about it all the time this hour and there's more information about there as well I'll just end by saying thank you to our producers uh, Mrs. Samin and Nadia and our tech team Armageddon and Naqib thank you here's the news <laughs>